Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? It is phenomenal to be with all of you today, especially with all of our campuses watching all over New Jersey and Church Online as we are kicking off this new series, RTD, stands for Religiously Transmitted Diseases. Now listen, if you've been to church for any amount of time, you might have picked one of these up. Hypocrisy, a judgmental spirit, performance mentality, or toxic political spirit. Anything like that? And the thing with these things is, like any kind of disease, the very nature of them is to destroy. They want to pretty much decimate everything about you. Now, we saw a really graphic example of this with the devastation that happened in West Africa through the Ebola epidemic. How many of you remember this? Where what happened was a, a, a small kid, maybe one or two years old, had some tainted meat. And from that tainted meat, this virus spread quickly. And what usually would happen is in these villagers' burial rites, what happened is they'd open themselves up to this, this disease and it would spread like wildfire. People would get a fever and then it would turn into a nonstop diarrhea and uh, vomiting. And then all of a sudden, they'd be having internal bleeding. And within a couple days, they were simply gone. And this became a huge outbreak in West Africa to the point where governments were trying to shut down their borders to stop the spread of this disease, trying to make sure no new people were coming in to infect their populations. And then the cities that were getting sick and slums were also trying to quarantine those places, usually by force, trying to make sure that they could, again, limit the exposure of this disease. Now, this thing would have destroyed all of Africa, but luckily the CDC and the American military intervened. And because they interviewed, they were able to kind of limit the amount of devastation that happened. But it still left over 11,000 men, women, and children devastated by this disease. But that's the nature of of pandemics. They destroy everything. Epidemics are meant to destroy everything in their wake. So when we talk about RTDs, religiously transmitted diseases, these aren't physical diseases. These aren't things that will affect your body, but they'll affect your soul, they'll affect your spirit, they'll affect your emotions and your mind. In fact, they can devastate your relationships with people in your lives, with family members and friends. They can devastate your faith, especially your relationship with God. And usually it starts off, you know, small. Maybe you get a little little itchy, you know, when you're around non-Christians. You're like, oh man, I I got to step away from this, right? Or then it kind of develops into a rash of hypocrisy and judgmentalism. You're kind of looking at the Christians around you and going, he listens to what? They watch they do what? Ugh, you know, and then it blows, goes into a full-blown performance pathogen where you measure your, everyone's spirituality by how spiritual you are. And pretty soon you have an RTD and you can be infectious and you can spread that disease. But I want to tell you something. If you feel an RTD coming on, if you feel like you've been infected, there's good news because there's a cure and there's a treatment in the liberating gospel of Jesus. And his desire is that you would walk in freedom, not bondage. And what RTDs often do is they leave us with that bondage. We're going to look at a snapshot that we see in the book of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 14 of when Jesus is kind of dealing with RTDs and how he deals with them. Now, as you're kind of getting your Bibles ready and things like that, Jesus was a religious teacher. He was a Jewish teacher. But often what he would teach was very irreligious. It would bypass all the religious systems of the day 
so he could get people to connect directly with the heart of God. And in fact, the biographies of Jesus have Jesus having these showdowns with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees as they're kind of fighting, saying, Jesus, you need to be more precise. You need to be more traditional. And Jesus is saying, no, it's all about connecting with God, with the divine. So let's look at one of these such encounters in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. It says this, To some who were confident in their own, say this with the yellow, righteousness, and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Now a parable is simply a story used that Jesus would use often to kind of teach a spiritual point. Usually it was something that he would see or observe. He'd bring it into a story and have a very powerful point that would leave people kind of going, okay, this is a sense of what God's kingdom is like. And he says this in the next verse. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisees were like the first back to the Bible movement. They're all about saying we need to get right behavior, we need to get right beliefs, and then Messiah is going to come and the world's going to be great, right? And so they're always trying to get people to kind of look the right way and act the right way and to believe the right things in contrast to the tax collectors. The tax collectors were probably one of the most hated groups of people among the Jews. The Romans came to them, they hired them, they said, why don't you go collect taxes from the Jews? So they would go, they would collect taxes from them, and they would take a little bit extra to pad their pockets. But they were literally the most hated people of, of their kind. So this is the picture that Jesus is trying to give us. Imagine a, a prostitute and a televangelist walk into church together. That's the picture, that's the shocking uh, sense that we need to get from this passage here. And then it says in the next verse, verse 11, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, not just once, but twice because God counts. And I give a tenth of all I get. See, this is how the Pharisee prayer works. It's a prayer of comparison. Look how good I am. Look how awful you are. Look how spiritual I am. Look how unspiritual you are. And then verse 13, let's look at the tax collector. It says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, say this with me in yellow, justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the Pharisees suffered from an RTD I like to call checklist Christianity. Checklist Christianity. See, this is where the heart develops symptoms of judgmentalism and pride, and, and they're blind to their own brokenness. But the tax collector was able to discover the cure. He was inoculated through cultivating a, a humble spirit in the midst of this. But let's kind of take a look at what checklist Christianity looks like. See, this can be very common in our culture, this, this idea of having a checklist and kind of judging one thing against the other. And so let's look at the Pharisees' checklist. He says here, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Let's break this down a little bit. So in your notes, why don't you go ahead and uh, divide the page up, kind of make a line right, right in between there, make two columns here. And in one, we write you, and the other, we write me. And so the tax collector is saying, I'm glad I'm not like other men, like robbers. You know, I don't steal, right? Like, I don't steal office supplies. I don't hoard yellow legal pads. You know, I don't do any of that stuff or pocket, you know, uh, 
thumbtacks or paper clips, adult or, or evildoers. Now, evildoers is kind of a strong word. I think what he means is, I'm not like the Kardashians. So, so that's kind of how that works. Uh, adulterers, you know, you know, God, I'm not a player. I'm respectful towards the ladies. I always approach them with the Christian side hug. You know, I don't do any of that frontal stuff, right? And I'm not a tax collector. I don't work for the IRS. I, I believe in smaller government. None of this other stuff here. But here's what the Pharisee does do. He says, I fast twice a week. So, he's, so this is the guy that fasts. Now, fasting is giving up food, uh, usually for the sake of kind of getting closer to God. But the Pharisee, you know what his attitude is? He's going to lunch with the guys in his office. They're going to Subway, and they're ordering, you know, a double BMT sandwich with extra capicola and salami and gabagool and all that stuff. And he's, he's getting up there, and he's like, you know, I'm just going to have water because I'm fasting, right? I'm fasting because, you know, I'm, I'm praying for unspoken prayer requests. In fact, I'm going to fast twice because that's how spiritual I am. And he's looking around, and everyone's like, okay, this dude's weird, weird right? And then he's a tither, right? The tax collector tithes. Now, a tithe is simply 10% of your income. And he's like, you know, I tithe. I put my tithe in the, in, the, in the popcorn bucket. I put it in the envelope. I make sure to put it on church I'm on. In fact, I give to saturate, you know? So, so I'm, I'm beyond 10%. I've gotten to the next level. And so this is what our Pharisee does. He essentially is, is kind of comparing his spirituality about how great he is and how bad you are. That's how checklist Christianity works. Now, I came to Christ, became a follower of Christ in 1996. I was at a pretty conservative fundamentalist church, and they kind of added to my checklist. Now, no one ever said to me, um, Nathan, now that you're a Christian, here's your handbook for how you need to operate your life. No one ever did that. But it, it was more subtle and more infectious. It kind of had a way of kind of getting into my bones and into my soul a little bit. And so I remember I had a conversation with someone about Halloween. They said, you know, I was like, oh, Halloween's like my favorite holiday. I love the candy and I love the dressing up. And you know what they told me? You can't celebrate Halloween. It's the devil's birthday. It's his sweet 16. I go, oh, man, I can't, like, so I guess Halloween's off my list, right? And of course, you guys know I love heavy metal. I am a headbanger, the whole bit. Yeah, totally. And you know, you know, and I was talking about this at youth group, and I had to bring my music there, and they're like, oh, you can't listen to that. And I go, well, why not? Well, you know, the Bible says that if you play your records backwards, it'll make you want to listen to the Smurfs. I go, why? Oh, I don't want to, uh, I got to, yeah, so I gave it up for like a day, right? And then dancing, right? They're like, oh, you can't dance, you know, you know, and they're like, and I'm thinking, but, but I've got the, I got the Bollywood in my blood. You can't take dancing from me, right? And they're like, well, you, and they're like, well, you know that dancing leads to premarital handholding. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I, I can avoid that. And, and so, you know, that was my checklist, right? And then you go to some churches and they have different checklists, I was at one church that said, uh, the only way you can really be part of the in crowd is, do you, do you speak in tongues? Or you go to other churches, and it's more like, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're part of the in crowd. Or I remember I grew up Methodist, right? And we had confirmation. And confirmation is, okay, you, you are confirming your faith. You're, you're showing that you're part of the, the, true, the, the true crew, right? Or something along those lines. But really, confirmation was more like, oh, I've graduated church. I'm never coming back again, right? <laughs> and so all of these different checklists, you know what they really do? i got to be honest with you. I really think people hate church because of all these different checklists. Because it promotes competition. It promotes this toxic sense of self-righteousness that I'm better than you, rather than the fact that we're all on the same level. 
This is not what Jesus had in mind, but yet we get stuck in this, you see? And here's the thing, not everything on the checklist is a bad thing. I remember having to memorize scripture and, and learn, reading the Bible every day, and at first it was really difficult, but that was really good for my soul. But if you look at this list, some of this stuff isn't even in the Bible. It's not in scripture. What we've done is we've elevated the opinions of people over the opinion of God in Scripture. And when that happens, we catch an RTD, a religiously transmitted diseases. But this is the kind of thing checklist Christianity fosters. When we measure people by the checklist, we can't truly see what God's called us to. And we want to look at two symptoms of checklist Christianity. The first symptom is this, is that in checklist Christianity, you're more interested in being right than being loving. Being right is greater than being loving. And anthropologist Mary Douglas says that by default, people do two things. It's in our nature. We get into groups and we decide rules and how we relate to one another in our groups. So in many ways, kind of having these rules, it's, it's something that we do. It's kind of inherent. But the problem is, is, you know, especially if you're a new believer, you're just starting this journey of faith, is we kind of observe, okay, here's how these Christians are behaving. Here's how they talk about people that are outside of the faith. And we start watching how they do it and we start to imitate it. And pretty soon, we start to look just like them. Like in the church that I first uh, uh, became a Christ follower in, they were really into this thing called apologetics. Have you heard of this? It's the rational defense of the Christian faith. And so we learned how to argue with atheists and beat them. Muslims, beat them. Agnostics, beat them. We could out-argue anybody, but there was no emphasis on love. In fact, you know how we showed love? We told you how wrong you were. That's how we showed love. So we would get into these arguments with people thinking, well, what we need to do is show them that they're wrong. And when they see how wrong they are, they're going to be like, you know what? You're right. I'm so wrong. I want to come to Jesus. But really what they thought was we were a bunch of judgmental jerks. But you know what? We kind of had this kind of Christ following, which was more about being right than loving. Grace was not a part of the equation. Mercy was not a part of it. And you know what? This infected me. I became judgmental, conceited self-righteous. And, and I got more upset if I was wrong than whether I loved someone well. And in fact, I got to be honest, I am still wrestling with this. In fact, uh, you know, I love to argue. That's kind of like my go-to. I'm like, all right, let's, go, let's, let's have a fight. My wife does not love that about me. And, and she's right anyway, so I don't know why I keep engaging. But that's something that's taking God. He's still working on me over 10 years on this. And that's the thing about RTDs. When you get infected, they're very difficult to get rid of. They have a way of just kind of working on us. And if we aren't aware of them and dealing with them and taking that to Jesus, they can become toxic and they can really do some damage. And the second symptom of checklist Christianity is this, is we care more about what's on the outside than what's on the inside. What's on the outside is more important than the inside. See, checklist Christianity is all about image, right? It's all about how you look on the outside, how you conform to your group of checklist Christians. Are you looking the right way? Are you saying the right things? Are you behaving? There's, you're not allowed to have any negativity or negative emotions like anger or sadness or depression because in checklist Christianity, everything is awesome, right? Everything is great. I follow Jesus, so of course I feel good all the time. You see, it's a faith for show. It's like going out to eat with some of these Pharisee folks and they love to pray and be seen by people praying. And so they'll pray for their dinner or, or whatever it is. And then after they pray, they'll kind of gossip and slander about everyone, you know, that they know. That's kind of what this looks like. It's more focused on what Christianity looks like on the outside rather than dealing with the hard issues. Transparency and authenticity isn't something that's important. And in fact, here's the secret. You want to know the secret about checklist Christianity? They love to turn on their own. They love to go after 
one another. And there's a great example of this in the movie Saved. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this. It came out a couple, couple of years ago. I don't recommend that you watch it with your family. But there's a great scene in this movie with a character named Mary, played by Jenna Malone. Now, Mary, she's a good girl, right? She is doing everything right on the checklist. She's checking it off, checking it off, checking it off. And she's like, this is great. But then one day, she makes a mistake. She sleeps with her boyfriend, and she gets pregnant. She's pushed to the margin. She's no longer part of the, her group of friends. And because of this, the principal at the Christian high school that she goes to notices and asks her crew, her, her group of friends, to kind of go and kind of gently help her. Let's take a look and see what happens. Watch this. Hey, ladies. Sorry. Uh, you got a second? Listen, I'm concerned about Mary. Something's going on. Yeah, me too. Well, she's part of your posse, and I think that you can help her. I'm going to need you to be a warrior out there on the front lines for Jesus. You mean like shoot her? <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was uh, thinking of something a little less gangster. I need someone who's spiritually armed to help guide her back to her faith, the love and care that only Jesus can supply. You down with that? Yeah, I'm down with that. She's pretty vulnerable right now, so I'm going to need you to be extra gentle. I'm going, I'm going! intervention you here yeah. kidnapping no you are backsliding into the flames of hell yeah. you've become a magnet for sin we've all witnessed it sure yes. veronica acting all pure what about last spring break at the promise makers rally huh oh my god you are making accusations as we're trying to save your soul mary turn away from satan jesus he loves you you don't know first thing about love i am filled with christ's love god you are just jealous of my success in the Lord. This is not a weapon, you idiot. This is not a weapon, you idiot. Say that to the person next to you. Make sure they know this is not a weapon. And if you can throw a Bible at them and explain that to them, you can do that as well. And you know, that's the thing about checklist Christianity. It makes the Bible a weapon rather than a tool to draw closer to the heart of God. And here's the thing, is here's the real danger of checklist Christianity, is you may be in checklist Christianity and you think you're doing a great job. You're adhering to all the rules, you're doing all the right things, and you're not doing the other things. But you know what happens? You get so caught up following the rules that you stop following Jesus. And this is actually where the trouble happens. In fact, if you look at the history of the Crusades and the Inquisition, where European Christians went into the Middle East and killed thousands of Jews and Muslims in the name of Jesus, it was because they were following the checklist Christianity and not following Jesus, who said things like, I don't know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, which generally means you don't kill them, you'd think. But that's the danger of the checklist. You see, it's easier to check things off of our list than actually hear the voice of God. 
It's, it's cleaner and neater to have a checklist than to wrestle with the hard things, with the things that may seem like they're in gray areas rather than really just go after God. It's, it's easier to have a checklist that tells us how to think and what to think. But why do we do this? See, I think there's a part of our human nature where we're reaching out to God. We, we, there's a gap between us and God, and so we think, maybe I can fill this gap up with good works. Whether it's good works we do at church, or good works we do in the community, whether it's, it's helping people out, getting involved in, in different aspects like that. And we think if we do these good works, we can kind of bridge the gap. But then if we can point out to other people the ways that they're not doing well, and we are, well, at least we know we're getting further ahead than they are. It becomes a comparison game. And pretty soon we start to stack up our righteous works, one after the other, after the other, after the other. We think, I'm doing so well, God. Look at my righteous acts. Look how righteous they are. But let me show you this verse that Isaiah says about our righteous acts. He says this, and all our righteous acts are like what? Say this with me in yellow. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Take that in for a second. It's not talking about the bad things that you do, the good things that you do. Helping inner city kids with their homework. Uh, helping your kids out, picking them up, uh, things like that. All those things are good things. Yet the best that we can ever do are only filthy rags. I gotta tell you something. In the actual Hebrew, filthy rags is the family-friendly translation. It's actually much, much worse. I'm not actually gonna tell you, but I thought, oh my gosh. Maybe I should show you. So who wants to take a guess? What do you think filthy rag stands for? Toilet paper? It's not toilet paper. Let me tell you something. When we think about our filthy rags, oh, okay, I can't, I can't touch that. I got to get ready here. So when we think about our righteousness, maybe, you know, you're, you're playing Star 99.1 on the radio as your neighbor is coming over, and you're thinking, that's a very righteous thing to do, right? And, and, and we're kind of getting ready for that, or, you know, you go to church, and you're, you're kind of volunteering, and you're serving, and you're getting involved there, and you're like, these are all of my righteous acts, God. Look, look how well I'm doing. I'm doing way better than Susie. I'm doing way better than Marty. But the problem is, is our righteous acts are, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even touch that. All right, here we go. You know what's great about this is if you're cleaning up dog poop in the wintertime, this is a phenomenal tool, right? It's great for that. So here's the thing. I'm going to try not to vomit in my mouth with this. This is just, oh, things I do to teach you all about the Bible here, right? You know what God says your righteous acts are? You know what all they are? Here's what they are here. Your righteous acts are nothing more than this. Slimy, sticky, disgusting rags like this. And you know, we, we call to God and say, God, look at this. Look how good my righteousness is. But they're toxic. They're filthy. They're disgusting. And we, we kind of think, look, God, look how great I'm doing. But the reality is, this is what God sees. And you know, we think God sees our righteousness, our right actions, and our right motives. But you know what God sees? God sees our dirty deeds done dirt cheap. That's what he sees. And, 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 you know, oftentimes we can kind of look at that and going, well, then what's the point of doing anything good? What's the point? If, if it seems like my best is just kind of uh, at its worst, then what, what, what can we do? Why, why even do anything right to begin with? Well, to, first, we kind of need to understand that in order to treat our RTDs, it's not by doing more and believing better or working harder. To treat our RTDs, we need to rest in this concept called Justification. Justification. Now, justification, let's look at verse 14. It says this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, say this with me in yellow, justified. 
Now, this is not just a Justin Timberlake album. Being justified is a deeply theological concept. Essentially, it's, it's, it's terminology taken from a law court. It, essentially, it means this, that your story your defendant, as a defendant has been believed. You've been declared righteous. You've been declared holy. You've been declared perfect. And so actually, there's two ways to really kind of remember this idea. It means just as if I never sinned. It's just as if you never sinned. It's like, imagine the worst that you've ever done in the past. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's kind of taken on separation from God, it's like just as if you've never sinned. But the other side of it is, it's just as if I've always obeyed. It's as if you've always obeyed and you've always perfectly done what God has called you to do. When you realize that you've been justified in Christ, that he sees you as perfect, he sees you as holy, that you don't have to earn your salvation with these filthy rags here called your righteousness, that gives us hope we can rest in truth because of all that he's done for us. So we can have an attitude of gratitude. We can be grateful for what God has done for us. Once we're kind of resting in the status of justification, we can kind of move away from checklist Christianity and move towards Christ. We could journey towards Jesus. We could journey towards Jesus. See, faith isn't like a checklist here. Faith, rather, think about it more like circles. Think about faith more like circles. And if you think of a bullseye, go ahead and make a bullseye in your notes here. If you think of it like this, where none of us can ever hit the mark, none of us ever hits the goal, none of us ever hits the bullseye, except who? Jesus. Jesus hits the goal every time because he is perfect. He's holy. And you know what's so interesting is, you know, one day when Jesus comes back, we're going to see the world as it truly is. We're going to see reality as it truly is. But until that point, we are in a church where all of us are at different places. And that's a healthy thing. That all of us are in different places in our relationship with God, in our in understanding who he is. In fact, I started my journey with Jesus when I was 14 years old, and I'm right here. I've kind of been growing in my faith. And if you remember Laura from last week's testimony at Easter, she's a new believer. So she's over here. And wherever she's, at, wherever she's in the journey, wherever I'm at, wherever you are, somewhere in this journey here, we are all on a journey towards Jesus. And when our eyes are focused on Jesus, we don't have time to judge each other. We don't have time to compare my best to your worst. We're all focused on growing our relationship with Christ, and that becomes our number one priority, not a checklist. See, grace has a way of inoculating us to judgmentalism and, and religion. In fact, one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. See, the Pharisees believed they deserved to get to heaven because of what they did. They deserved all, all that they had because of what they had done. But what grace says is Jesus has already done it all for us. So now when we get to engage in spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, it's so that we can grow our faith. For instance, we, you know, the Pharisees fasted. Is there something wrong with fasting? Not at all. Fasting, in fact, I encourage you to do it because it's going to help you grow your relationship with Christ. Tithing, it's a really great discipline. In fact, our family, we tithe because it helps us remember that our treasure is where our heart is. And so when we say that, you know, we're going to give 10% because we want to honor God with it, it helps us know that money's not our God, but, but Jesus is our God. And, you know, stealing or, or sleeping around, the reason why we don't do that is not because we're afraid of going to hell, but we do that because I don't want to break fellowship with God. That's not going to bring me closer to God or, or, or help my marriage or anything like that. That's going to be, actually pull me further away. 
And so when we have this perspective that we're all on a journey, we're all moving towards Jesus, we're all kind of moving in this direction, it can be liberating. It can be powerful. See, we're all disciples. We're all on different levels here, but we're all moving towards Jesus. We're all moving in that direction. See, when we get this idea that, that we're really sinners saved by grace, we're really beggars that kind of know where the bread is, it kind of takes away that sense of judgmentalism. It takes away that sense that we have it all together. And it's really refreshing when we actually can see that in the lives of other people. You know, I remember I was in uh, middle school, and um, uh, there's a man in my life, I called him Uncle David. Uncle David wasn't really my uncle, but in Indian culture, you'd kind of call everyone, you know, uncle or aunt. That's kind of how, how we did it. And, uh, you, know, you know, at night, our family would go to this Indian church. And I was like in middle school, I was 13, and I really wanted to start a band, right? Big surprise, right? Um, so I wanted to start a band, so I don't know what I was doing. I was kind of asking people if they wanted to donate to, like, my starting a band fund, right? And so, you know, this is like Indian church, which is very similar to normal church, except everyone's an Indian, and uh, it's at night. And so, you know, I would go around and start talking to people and tell them about my dream and my vision and things like that. And uh, I remember, you know, this was kind of a, a checklist Christianity crowd. So I would get responses like, yeah, um you really, you know, this music's really demonic. You shouldn't do that. Or you really need to cut your hair. Or I don't speak English. So those were kind of the comments that I would get, right? But then I remember uh, Uncle David came up to me. You know, he's old school, right? He's like, so what's going on here, he'd ask. And I'd kind of tell him about my dream and my vision. I I knew he was going to yell at me because he always did. I was that kind of kid. And so after I I finished, he looks at me and goes, you know what? I got $20 in my wallet. Why don't you take that? I want you to take it and go start your band. And I'm thinking, this is great. This is grace. Grace really does win. And you know what happened? Of course, they never started my band, right? Now, I know Uncle David. I know there was no way he ever would have wanted me to start a band. And, you know, but he kind of saw where I was at. See, I was in middle school, and I was, I think, 13 or 14. I was in this place where I was really wrestling with whether I really wanted to do this Jesus thing or not, whether I wanted to follow God, because I saw Christians being judgmental and hypocritical, and I really hated being at church. But he was a great example of what grace looked like. And it made me think, you know, if there's Christ followers like that, who maybe they don't always agree with me, maybe they don't even understand what I'm doing, but they still want to say, you know what, where you're at in your faith, I value that, and I want to encourage that, I'm going to invest in that. I knew that there was going to be a place for me in God's kingdom. Because he showed me it's not all about rules or a checklist, but really it's about relationship with Jesus and drawing closer to him. So maybe you're here today and you're living by the checklist. Just chuck it. God has not meant you to live by a checklist. He's made you to live in relationship with him. And in fact, when we rest in the reality that we've been justified, that we've experienced justification, just as if I never sinned, just as if I always obeyed, we can focus on our goal, which is Jesus. And together, journey towards Christ, and we can encourage one another and ask others to join with us on this journey forth. But the truth of the matter is that some of us are infected with RTDs. Some of us are infected with these RTDs and, and we, can't, we can't get rid of it right away. It's going to take a process. It's going to take time. But others of you, you've kind of, kind of fallen to the other side of the ditch where you chuck the checklist, but now you're like, woohoo, I can do whatever I want. This is great. But yet you're further away from Jesus because you're not focusing on him. You're focusing on yourself. But what God is calling you to 
is all of us to focus on Christ. And as we move towards him, we can find our freedom. For some of you in this room, uh, you need to kind of take some time to refocus and realign your eyes and your life on Jesus. So in a moment, we're going to have the spiritual care team come up. And they're going to be available to, to pray for you as you're kind of realizing, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with resting and, and justification that I, I don't need to do. I, I need some prayer, some encouragement. The spiritual care team will be here to kind of pray with you. But in a moment, I want to pray for us. Because you see, one of the things I love about Liquid is we are not a church that's about checklist Christianity. We are a church about focusing on Jesus, and we're all in a journey. So we don't want Pharisees to infect, uh, infect us with a toxic checklist Christianity. Nor do we want to leave sinners and tax collectors on the margins. We want to see them embrace Jesus and kind of move in that direction. And we want to walk in that. And we want to live that out. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's pray together. Jesus, I want to confess to you, Lord, that there's times we live more out of the checklist than out of relationship. Because it's easier. So, Father, right now, I declare in the name of Jesus that we are all going to focus in on you, that we're going to focus in on following you and keeping our eyes on you, God. Lord, would you show us where we've been following a checklist rather than you? Would you show us where we have uh, strayed rather than stayed focused on you, God? Where we've chosen to be right more than loving? Where we've chosen to focus on the outward appearance rather than the heart? We ask you, God, that you do a work in us from the inside out. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.